you have your Bibles, well, let's see here. Let's see where we're going to go first. We'll go in Exodus. Go to Exodus 33. So we're going to go as far as we can go today, and then we'll keep going. I want to talk about foundational truths that we believe. All right? It's going to go right along. I love how Shagun went into that. It's one of my favorite stories of Zacharias and, and uh, how God was faithful to them. And there's a, there, the actual Greek uh, translation there says, the angel said to him, the prayer you no longer pray. The prayer you stopped praying has been heard. And I love that because I've prayed a lot of prayers in desperation, and I've prayed a lot of prayers on purpose, and I've also stopped praying prayers that the Lord still hears. <laughs> the prayer I no longer pray, he still hears. He heard the cry of our heart, and I love that. And um, so today I want to talk about these foundational truths. We want to build a revival culture, and there are these six things I want to talk about over this week and the next couple of weeks possibly. Um, and the first one is in Exodus 33, and we're going to start with verse 12. So we're going to read this, Exodus 33, 12 through 23. And Father, we just ask that you would anoint me to say what I need to say and anoint our ears and our hearts to hear. May it produce great fruit in our lives. May it create a culture in this house of revival and that your kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. So Exodus 33, verse 12. It says, Then Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, I'm going to change translations. I've got an older translation here. Give me one second. I don't want to say dost. Thou dost say to me. Uh, I, I'm, I'm going to stumble over that if I do that. So give me one second. Thank you very much. Exodus 33, verse 12. All right, let's try this. Then Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring us this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. I, I can hear Moses saying, like, where's my help? <laughs> How many have ever been in a situation? You're like, okay, God, you told me to do this thing. Where's my help? Raise your hand if you, if you prayed that even recently. All right, who, who's, who's my partner? Who's helping me out here? You haven't told me who you're going to send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you have found grace in my sight. But I pray, if I have found grace in your sight, show me now your way that I may know you and that I may find grace in your sight and consider that this nation is your people. You asked me to do this. I didn't search this out. You called me. These are your people. And you better give me some help and show me what to do because I'm lost right now. I have no clue what I'm doing. Amen. I feel that way. And then God answered him. And said, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Whew. I love that when we say, who's going with me, God? Who's my helper? He says, it's me. I'm going with you. I'm your helper. And then Moses said to him, well, if your presence does not go with us, don't bring us up from here. In other words, if you don't go with me, I'm not going. Amen? For how then will it be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight unless you go with us? I love how he ties that other people will see God's grace on them by the fact that he chooses to walk with them. That's, that's good. That's a side note. For how will it be known that we have found grace in your sight unless you go with us? So we shall be separate, your people and I, from all the people who are on the face of the earth. And so Moses 
So the Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing that you have spoken, for you have found grace in my sight, and I know you by name. I love that. He knows us by name. And he said, and Moses replied, well, please show me your glory. (sighs) And he says, well, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim my name before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no man shall see me and live. And then the Lord said, well, there is a place. (laughs) You can't see my face. You can't see my glory. But there is a place where you can. So he says, you're going to stand on the rock. Come on, symbolism of Jesus. And so I'm going to pass by. So, so it shall be while my glory passes by that I will hide you in the cleft of the rock. I will hide you in Jesus. Well, this is a piggyback in what Ray talked about last week. He's hidden us in Christ. I will hide you in the rock and I will cover you with my hands. And while, while I pass by, then I will take my hand away and you will see the back of me, but you will not see my face. And I love this because I'll, this is just like a personal thing that I think, how did Moses know how to write about the creation and how did he know how to write about Abraham and all of the things up until that point, he wasn't alive. And I feel like God showed him the past. I feel like God opened creation to him and opened up his ways to him and he saw what had already happened. But he says, I will hide you and you will be able to see all of my goodness pass in front of me. Everyone say, my goodness, my goodness will pass in front of you. That's the first foundational truth. And I'm going to take a little more time probably on this one today, maybe than I do the others. I don't know for sure. But we believe that God is good. Amen. (laughs) We believe that God is good. What we mean when we say that God is good is that everything that God does is good. That even his discipline is good. Even his judgments are good. Even his kindness to someone who doesn't deserve it is good. That one always bothers me the most, probably. (laughs) Even though I've been very much on the other end of receiving kindness that I didn't deserve. But man, I'm like, they deserve what they got. And the Lord's like, I'm good. I'm good. It's like the parable when they they hired out workers and said, I'll pay you this much in the morning. And he's like, whoa, we're not going to get enough done. We need to hire more people. Hey, and they, they did that three or four different times. Had to call new workers throughout the day. And it was the last hour of the day. He's like, we need more help to come finish the harvest. He hires them in. He brings them up. You know the story, right? And he says, he pays them all the same. And people got offended. They're like, are you kidding me? He's like, how dare you tell me that I'm unjust? I'm a good man and I can do what I want with my money. And God's good. He's good all the time. We say it. It's become a cliche that I think triggers our, our thinking off. <laughs> when I say, I, I, I say it too, like, well, God is good. He's always good. Yep. And my, I think my thinking turns off. And I don't really contemplate the idea that the reason he's good is because he sees everything. He sees every situation from a different perspective. I can say there have been many things that... All of us can say. There have been many things that we've gone through in life that wasn't good until it was over and it was good. 
And I can say, well, how is God good if this is happening? How many of you have ever had something like that? Like, how, how can God be really good if this thing is happening? And I just want to say, we need to trust him and trust his perspective. I'll give you a cheesy little anecdote, all right? I'm just going to paint a picture. We did this in our revival group. Just walk with me, all right? You know, I have little Levi. He's almost five years old. We're walking through the parking lot. You look over and you see me. Take Levi and shove him out of the way onto the ground. You think I'm angry at Levi. You think I'm being a bad father, right? Because all you saw was three to five seconds, and you got CPS on speed dial fixing to say, this guy's a bad father, right? But if you pull back, you see that he was walking out into the intersection. There's a car coming, and me being a good dad shoves Levi to the ground. Did Levi cut his knee and his elbow? Yeah, he did. He got wounded. But being a good father, I saved his life. Sometimes, like, this is going to sound crazy. I can't believe I'm actually going to say this. Sometimes God shoves us out of the way of trouble, and it hurts us. But it's less pain than what we would have been in because he's good. He's good to us. And we have to come to the understanding that we trust him. It's the scripture, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Faithful are the dealings of his hand, right? When God does something, we trust that it's good because he is good. All his ways are perfect. All his ways are just. Everything he does is righteous. I don't get to determine what's good or not good. God determines what's good, and he acts according to his nature, which is goodness. So when I say God is good then I have to trust him in every season of life, everything I'm going through, every process that he knows better. And if this isn't from God, he will tell me and he will say, take up your sword and let's go to war because I didn't send this into your life. But when God allows things to come into our life, it's his goodness, it's his kindness. And so I want us to just think, when we say we want to have a culture that says God is good, it doesn't mean rainbows and puppies all the time. It means that we have, Kyle hit into this song a few weeks ago, we have a love that's weathered. We have a love that's been tested. Like we've walked with him for, for a season of, of our time, some short, some longer, but in that season we've learned he's trustworthy. Yes. How many would say God's trustworthy? Yes. Why is he trustworthy? Because he's good. Yes. He's good. Yes. Always good. He's, that's always the right answer. He's always good. And it's not, it's not a cliche to get me out of a hard season. Well, God's good. This will pass. That's true. Some things will pass. But sometimes when I'm going through a hard season, it's God, God's giving me an invitation into deeper understanding and revelation of his character and his nature. And it would be foolish for me to just say, I'm going to bury my head in the sand until this passes by. And not hop up on the operating table or the potter's wheel and let him do what he needs to do. You know how he says it? He's like, I'm the potter, you're the clay. And if I put you on this wheel and I begin to shape you and, and it doesn't quite come out right, I'll take you off the wheel and I'll, I'll mold you and I'll soften you and I'll crush you again and I'll remake you into something better. And some of us run from those crushing seasons because we feel it with Christian cliches. Oh, God's good. This will pass. 
He's won everything. All those things are absolutely true. But what I'm trying to connect us to is that we disconnect and disengage our heart from the process so often with cliches and with things that are true that we just spout out slogans, Christianese, they're true. But when I use those things as a buffer from the real life situation, I miss out on the seasoning of a relationship with God and going through the testing and the trials. Like he says, it's the trials that work patience in us. It's the testing that builds our faith. Come on, right? It builds our character. And if I run past these moments that are difficult and don't allow him to build character in me, then I miss an opportunity. And he is good and it will pass. And it all works out for good. And no weapon formed against me will prosper. All of it's true. But it's also true that these are also times for us to be invited into a deeper season with God. Because he's good. He knows better. Amen? So foundational truth number one. We know that God is good. He is good. It is our conviction that he is good. The second one. Let's go to Luke 18, verse 27. Luke 18, verse 27. This is just after the rich young ruler had his story and opportunity to meet Jesus. And Jesus, he's like, hey, I've done all these things. I've obeyed all the laws. I've been a good man. I've obeyed you. What else do I need to do? And Jesus says, sell all your possessions. And he's like, oh, wait a second. You know, where is that in the law? You know, <laughs> where are those commandments? Um, and so then the disciples are watching this, and Jesus says, very difficult for a rich person to enter into the kingdom. And they start talking to themselves like, man, rich people got it easy. This is what, I'm sure this is what they're thinking. They've got it easy. Like, you know, rich people don't have problems, which is ridiculous, right? And they're thinking this. They're going through this process, and they, they begin to ask the question, well, then who can be saved? Like, that seems to be the most impossible thing there is, is for a wealthy person to be saved. Like, who can be? And then Jesus heard them say that. Who can be saved? In verse 27, he says, the things which are impossible with men are possible with God. Would you say that? The things which are impossible with men are possible with God. There are so many places in, in the Gospels, Matthew 17, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, where that same scripture is said in different contexts. With men it is impossible, but with God all things are possible. So foundational truth number one is that God is good. Number two, it's that nothing is impossible. Would you say that? Nothing is impossible. Like, how many had, but what about this? <laughs> Nothing is impossible, but what about this right now? Nothing's impossible, but what about this thing that's been in my family for years? What about diseases passed on? What about this condition I've been dealing with? What about nothing is impossible? No thing is impossible with God. By ourselves? Everything is impossible. <laughs> Nothing is possible by ourselves. Because it says with men, it's impossible. But with God. Go back to number one. You ever get confused on some of these foundations? You always go back to number one. God is good. 
I will allow my goodness to pass in front of you. I will go with you. So if, if men, if it's impossible with men, God's with me. So it's possible. Or better said, I'm with God. It's possible. I know years ago when, when we first met uh, Bill Johnson, when he came to the church, some of you were here at the time, at a Hungry Preachers Conference, and that was when Cletty Keith sang that great song, Pushing My Chips to the Middle of the Table, I'm Betting on God. Yeah, come on, y'all remember. The, one of the first things that just wrecked me was Bill Johnson told Mandy, and he pulled us aside and goes, hey, you guys, you need to know this. You plus God equals a majority. He told us that. i never forget it. And what he was saying is, with men, it's impossible, but with God, all things are possible. And I just wanted to say that. Like, whatever situation you're facing, whatever crisis that you ever come against, with men, it's impossible, but God's with you, so it's not impossible. And then because he's in us for us, he's on us for others, then we get to carry the gospel, which is good news, to everyone around us and say, hey, that seems impossible with where you're at right now. But I know a God who will come into the middle of your situation. He will allow his goodness to pass in front of you. He will send his son Jesus to hide you in the middle of the storm. Come on. He will be Emmanuel, God with us, and he will be with you. And this thing that seems impossible can actually turn out for good. And that's where we carry that in. So God is good. Nothing's impossible. All right, number three. We'll probably end on this one today. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 7. We're going to drop down to verse 23. I'd love to just spend time in this. This is so deep. It's talking about the priesthood and how Melchizedek is a priest forever. And, the, and Jesus is a priest forever under the lineage of Melchizedek. And it's talking about the priesthood and, and all, the, all the things that goes with that. And they're saying that Jesus is our priest, that he's our high priest, that because of what he did, because he atoned for every sin of mankind, that he became a priest forever. And we can go directly to him as our priest. Amen. And so Hebrews 7, verse 23, and it says, also there were many priests because they have prevented by death from continuing. But Jesus, him, he continues forever as the unchangeable priesthood, amen? Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for you. I want to pause there. That's not the point today, but I, I think it's important for everyone here to hear that. God sent Jesus to be our high priest, and Jesus right now is interceding for us. Would you say that? Jesus is praying for me. Whew. Jesus is interceding for me. He's pleading my case. He is my attorney. When you think of intercession, you think of someone stepping in for someone else who has greater authority, and they're changing the surroundings, they're changing the seasons, and they're pleading our case. Jesus is standing and pleading your case right now before God and before all of mankind, for all of creation. He's praying for us. That's good news. Amen? Amen. Verse 26, for we have such a high priest that's fitting for us who is holy, 
who was blameless, who was undefiled, who was separated from sinners and has become higher than the heavens, who does not need to, who does not need daily as the other priest to offer up sacrifices for, for first for his own sins and then for the people's. For, his, for this he did once and for all, he offered up himself. What it's saying in more plain terms is the priesthood had to offer sacrifices for their own sins. Then they had to offer offer special sacrifices for everyone else's sins. But Jesus doesn't have to offer sacrifices for sin because he never committed sin. He became the sacrifice for all mankind once and for all. Amen. So the third foundational truth is that Jesus's blood paid for everything. He's good. Nothing's impossible, and Jesus' blood paid for everything. That literally means he paid for our salvation. He paid for our salvation, that we would be saved, not just in eternity, but for now. He also paid for our freedom, for our deliverance, for us breaking through patterns and addictions and even the patterns and the thinking of this world. He paid for that. He paid for our healing. By his stripes, we were healed. And Jesus' one-time sacrifice paid for all of the sins of all mankind. We, that one's easy for us to talk about, right? We believe that Jesus died on the cross and it paid the penalty for all our sin. Amen? So, it's, so when we say all you got to do is confess that he's Lord Confess that Jesus is the Son of God and you're saved. That's what the Bible says in Romans, right? You just confess that Jesus is Lord and you believe it in your heart and you're saved. Guess what else? Confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that you're delivered and you are delivered. Oh, well, it's a process. Freedom is, is, can be instantaneous. Walking it out is the process part. We like to focus on the how am I going to walk this out part, and we miss the whole free gift of freedom. We've made deliverance like this, this big, difficult thing, and I'm not talking about the, the stewarding my freedom part. I'm talking about the moment where we just believe, look, God, I confess right now that you're my Lord. I confess that your blood paid for my freedom, so I'm free right now in Jesus' name. You're free right now. Okay, now we have to walk it out. It's the same thing with healing. Like, oh, this gets more difficult when we go through the three. Why? Why is it easy for us to believe that someone can say a simple little prayer and their soul is saved for eternity, but we can't believe they can pray the same simple little prayer and be set free from addiction? Why do we make it more difficult? Why do we think sin is that powerful? Why do we make it even more difficult? We're like, well, you can walk freedom out. We can walk that out through some self-help and some, some taking care of business, right? We can walk that out. But, but healing, oh, that's the harder one. Because sometimes people get healed and sometimes people don't get healed. Well, there's, there's another one later that we'll get to uh, that's a foundational truth that there's mystery. Like, we don't always understand we don't, but that invites us into an encounter with God. Okay, how come? So if, if we believe, how many, how many believe this, that you can say a prayer, ask Jesus to come into your heart, and you're saved? Okay, how many believe that you can say the same prayer and be set free and delivered? 
I can say the same prayer and believe that Jesus' stripes, the atonement he paid for, paid for all of them, can heal my body. Come on. It's the same blood of Jesus that does all of them because the word salvation is the word sozo. It means saved, healed, delivered. We've made it a one-time thing. And I'll tell you why we've done that. Because we've reduced the Trinity to one person. I, I, I think this is probably true. We've reduced our relationship with the Father as being the only part of our relationship with him that we develop. And there's a Son and there's a Holy Spirit. There's, the, there's three parts to this. And it's time for us, and we do a little bit better with Jesus, but we, we struggle more with the Holy Spirit, and we don't need to. We need to bring it all into one because Jesus' blood brings the three things together, the salvation, the healing. The, why do we have the banners back there? Because we want to remind, I mean, we've had these banners for, for years. These are back at the bridge. I'm like, I'm not getting rid of them. This is sozo, salvation, healing, deliverance. That's what they are because we believe that Jesus' blood paid for that. It was called the atonement. He paid, and Hebrews, all through Hebrews, it says over and over and over again that he did it once and for all, that he paid a full price, that no one else needs to offer sacrifices because Jesus was the perfect sacrifice, and it's done. The old legislation, the old covenant, the old law has been fulfilled in Jesus' blood. He wrote a new covenant for us. And I, I, I'm praying that God would come in and break loose the, the uh, mental um, fog that we have on applying the simplicity of his blood to salvation, to healing, and to deliverance. <laughs> I'm probably going to step into deep water in trouble. I don't know. We want a culture that sees those three things happening. We need to see people saved. We need to see people give their heart to Jesus inside this building and outside this building. I, I don't want to enter in the number zero in this month. That, that I don't know of anyone that gave their heart to Jesus this month. Like We're a revival church, right? We're a kingdom church. We're Pentecostal. We believe in all of this stuff. Then people should be saved. We should be bringing lost people to Jesus in our homes, in our workplace, bringing them to church everywhere. People should be getting saved everywhere. There's no limit. There's no boundary to where someone can turn their heart to Jesus. Equally, we should be seeing people set free from oppression, from demon possession. I, I think, I don't know, well... There have been great seasons uh, in this church's history where we've seen all of these things happening. Salvations every single week. Deliverances. We were talking, I, let's do this, this is fun. We used, to tell, we, we used to train our ushers and our greeters how to handle demonic oppressed people. We had trainings for it. We trained people how not to get thrown up on when someone was demon possessed. I'm, I'm not, this is true. Some of you may have been in those trainings years ago. We trained how to catch people when the Holy Spirit hit them and they fell. We trained people. Like, there's a way to catch a man. There's a way to catch women. We trained. <laughs> what do you do when they fall forward? <laughs> there's all the, we went through the trainings. 
There's a way to lay people out and protect their, their privacy and their innocence. Like all this stuff, we trained for this stuff because we expected it to happen. We saw healings. I've literally seen a mass on someone's face disappear in front of my eyes, the size of a softball at the old family worship center. I can tell you exactly where I was when it happened. I saw it with my eyes. And this is our DNA as a church. This is who we are. We prepared for this stuff because we were a kingdom culture. We believe that Jesus' atonement paid for all of it. So we prepared for it. So we should see in this church salvations, healings, and deliverance all the time. You should see it in your daily life. <laughs> We've had some crazy stories. Even at the bridge, we, we had the, the craziest people would come to the bridge. The craziest people. I'm telling you, the craziest people would come into the church. And I've seen a demon-possessed girl do this, this stuff. That I've, I don't know how she did it. Like this, and she was set free. And I've seen this with my own eyes. I've been part of these things. It is who we are. And there are oppressed people everywhere. Someone may not be demon-possessed, like, oh, we think they're evil because they're demon-possessed. No, they're not. Demon-possessed people are victims. They are captives. They're prisoners. And what did Jesus tell us to do? Set captives free. And we're going to stir up an atmosphere and a, and a deliverance center, and a healing center, and a place where people get saved, where we see it happen often, where we come to the place where it happens every day. Someone in here has led someone to the Lord. Someone here has brought deliverance to someone. Someone here has seen healing happen every single day. Amen. These are our foundational truths. To build on anything else would be building just a club. God is good. Nothing's impossible. Jesus' blood paid for all of it. And he gave us access to it. And he empowered us. And the same anointing that, that God poured upon his son, the same Holy Spirit anointing he poured on him, where he said, I've, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor, to release captives and prisoners, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. That same anointing, the Holy Spirit has been poured out upon us. The same calling, the same anointing. Jesus said, the things that I've done, you will even do these things and greater things because I'm leaving and the same spirit that rested on me is gonna come rest on you. We believe this, don't we? Well, belief requires fruit. Are you Okay. I'm demanding this of my own life. Belief demands fruit. All right, that's, that's, we'll finish part two next week. There's three more. But I, I don't, I don't want to end service the way, the way we typically end service. I, I would like to invite you here. If Lance, if you'd like to play, like we need the altar service and we need to make an atmosphere where we're saying, okay, Lord, here's the target. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth. Here, this is how we're praying. This is the target. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Kingdom culture, revival culture. This is the aim. God, if there is space between us, between me and a kingdom culture where you're resting upon me in power and authority, close that gap today. All right, that's how we're gonna pray. So come on up to the front. We're just, we're just gonna make it an altar. You can leave when you wanna leave. 